I'm Ron Algar-Watt, and this is More Bits. Jason Wallace is like the little brother I never had. Well, I have a little brother, and I'm quite fond of him. Also, Jason is almost, not quite, but almost young enough to be the son I never had. Anyway, Jason is an immensely talented actor that I met via a voice acting message board in 2013, and he's been a key member of the Sarcastic Voyage unpaid voice acting players ever since. I'm also, if we're being honest, quite fond of him. But I'm also insanely jealous, not only of his talent, but of the fact that he seems to have his life together so much more than I did at his age. So yeah, I mean, have you always wanted to be a voice actor? Like, is this something you want to do with your life? Is it something you've, like, is this a you know, when I grow up, I want to do this, or is it just kind of something you fell into? It's just something that I fell into, actually. Um, initially, I was going to be um, uh, a, a fiction writer. I wanted to write the great American novel or the good American novel or the mediocre mm-hmm. but sellable American novel. Sure. Um, and um, uh, just somewhere in exploring that in my late teens and early 20s, um, uh, I, I I realized that I didn't have the kind of long form uh, focus and uh, attention to like world building kind of detail to really get out the novel that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. So I decided to sort of fall back on my sort of second impulse, which was entertainment, you know, get, getting out in front of people and telling jokes. And I've, I've always done like, you know, uh, funny voices and impressions for a long time. Sure. Um, and um, in my uh, decision there to switch from, you know, pursuing a uh, a writing life, a, a, a mostly writing life, to one uh, a- acting, this time on the stage, um, I just ended up stumbling into the, the voice acting just through various forums on the internet and stuff and just getting in contact with people, and I just sort of fell into it, yeah. Well, that's cool. So you're, you're currently just finishing up school, right? I think, what, do you have, like, one more semester or something? Uh, yes, I'm... Uh, Pretty close to being done with my with my undergraduate degree, yeah. And you're, what are you, a theater major? Yes, that's right. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> jokes aside about how hot do you on fries with that, blah, blah, blah. Seriously, what is the career path after that? Like, what do you do? Uh, well, the idea there, um, it, it depends on sort of what, um, uh, what, what exactly you're, you know, honing in on, what exactly you're, you're focusing in on in terms of, you know, the, the sort of theater business as a whole. I mean, with... Mm-hmm. Um, with the technical side, obviously, if if there's a working theater in your area, you've pretty much always got some kind of job lined up. You Is know? that like running the boards and lights and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, building set, um, running the uh, technical aspects like lights and sound, you know, uh, doing costuming, all that stuff is, is under this technical umbrella. And um, you can either get into sort of like a, a, an academic option where you um, settle into a college and you sort of teach courses on these technical aspects and also run their the, the technical side of their theater department, you know, that, sure. that, that sort of thing. That, that's the more practical aspect of it. Um, if, if, if you're interested in, in acting, um, the ideal path is to, um, you know, do as many... Uh, places you can and finish your undergraduate training and all that because um, really experience will speak a hell, a hell of a lot louder than um you know than than your undergraduate program or whatever um, sure once you do that you go to one of these sort of like um uh, they're called urta auditions urta it's an it's an acronym for university and i believe resident technical uh i mean excuse me theater association 
-hmm. And um, they hold these kind of hub auditions in these uh, particularly large cities in the U.S. like uh, Atlanta and Chicago and New York and that sort of thing. Um, mm. The idea is that a bunch of undergraduate students go there to present, uh, you know, an audition piece. They've got a couple of, you know, scene sections or, or, or a monologue or two, and they do that in front of a panel of, uh, of representatives from grad schools. Mm -hmm. And based on your showing, you know, how, how, how well you do, the, the grad schools will ask to meet with you and they'll, you know, sit down and say, okay, we want you to be a part of our program and we'll offer you this much money and like this kind of, you know, stipend. We want you to work on these shows, blah, 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 that sort of thing. And so that takes you down a path to graduate school. And then once you're done with that, you're encouraged to like, you know, go out and get your, you know, equity license and all that, you know, join, join equity and um, just, just start working. So, I mean, but realistically, is that is that viable? I mean, I certainly don't want to, you know, cast aspersions on, on what you want to do with your life. But does does that work out for people? You hear about a lot of people, you know, I mean, uh, the cliche, of course, is like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an actor who's a waiter. Like, would you have to get a quote unquote real job to make that work? Or do you really think you can make that work? The likelihood is, yes, you'd have to get a second job to sort of support at, in in this at this point. it the the odds are stacked against you yes i mean mm -hmm. all, of the maybe 5% of working actors across the country and this is a very this is a very vague statistic there is a pro sure, there's just pulling it out of your ass yeah there's a there's a proper percentage but um of the 5% of working actors i mean that's regularly working you know getting you know gigs every two or three months and you know enough to pay the bills exactly or at least pay some of the bills like you're you're you're, right. you're, you're working pretty regularly um of those 5%, maybe like 1% of those people, you know, will um, sort of take that next level and actually get to a kind of, will be in a kind of cultural consciousness sort of place, you know what I mean? Like where, where people will actually know who they are and they'll well, be sort okay. of marketable personages and that sort of thing. But the, I mean, there's a difference between becoming, you know, a movie star or becoming, you know, a, a respected character actor, like, you know... You're not necessarily going for fame so much as you are going for for uh, like just getting work, right? I mean, right. But well, I'm not necessarily talking about fame. I'm talking just sort of about about cultural awareness, about about people being aware of who you are and wanting to bank, you know, more yeah. and more sort of high cost, high risk, complicated projects on you. You see, I got you. So as that sort of awareness develops, the uh, the range and type of opportunities available to you expands and so does your earning potential you see I so you. the likelihood is that sort of 95 percent of and I, again this is just sort of a vague statistic but yeah. the vast majority of actors will not be able to support themselves or will not be able to get regular working jobs and those that do will likely just sort of not i i i won't say toil in obscurity but They'll they'll just have to work. It'll just have to be like a you know, not a nine to five exactly, but they'll just have to go in and put in their hours, and it's just something that they that they you know are are passionate about and they really enjoy doing. But it's not going to be their 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 saving grace, you know. Well, I mean, what so? But you specifically, because you know, I mean, it's it it is interesting to know sort of in general what what the situation is for actors. But I am interested in more like what what is your plan? What are you what are you going to do? Um, my idea was to, you know, um, get into a pretty reputable grad school and just really explore the craft. And it's at that point that, you know, 
at, at at this point it's a little up in the air. I mean, I I've I've had a lot of success, you know, on stage and in voice work and stuff like that and there's a lot of people sort of encouraging me to go and sort of develop this, you know, this thing. Mm-hmm. But if I wash out of grad school, then I just have to sort of decide on a whole new kind of trajectory, you know. So the idea right. is that, you know, I would go to grad school, I would really focus and develop the craft because obviously in undergraduate school your your attention is split quite a lot you know you've got quite a lot of other stuff you know sort of requirements and classes to take and all this stuff like that so you're not really allowed to sort of on a on a maybe 18 hour basis like really hone your craft Mm -hmm. um once i get into grad school and, and 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 do all that if that's successful then i would sort of set up shop in a pretty large metropolitan area like let's just let's just take atlanta for instance um there's a mm-hmm. pretty regular theater scene there there's a company uh uh doing plays regularly there called theatrical outlet uh i could um sort of set up shop there and work with them and or and uh appear in their shows regularly per season or i could you know do shows at the fox there or join a repertory company, which is, you know, just sort of a, a, a company that will move around the country and, you know, show a series of plays in a certain venue. There are a lot of options available after that. Sure. Yeah. So so this is this is more the path that you want than the, the stage acting. Like the voice acting is just sort of a way to keep acting, you know, to give yourself gigs. It's not necessarily, this isn't necessarily the goal. Uh, well, just acting in general is the goal, um, how, whatever form that takes. I mean, I, if... If the majority of my work happens on stage, I'm perfectly fine with that. If it's on voice, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Just now, now that I've sort of has kind of put a put a foot into you know the voice acting field, um, mm-hmm. that will allow me like my my potential sort of gigs and of course potential earnings and all that stuff like that potential ability to really uh, penetrate that cultural consciousness um, uh-huh. is just is like is you know expanded twice as much so it it really it really behooves me to you know explore both of those kind of paths well sure the uh the prestige of being on a sarcastic voyage i mean obviously the next step is you know snl or or as you know like uh, uh second city or you know like one of the major comedy outlets because we're clearly a proving ground for uh yeah, I can't even finish that sentence. No, no, it's only a matter of time. Um uh-huh. I'm I'm actually getting post-it notes from Lorne Michaels as we speak. <laughs> well, now you have to do a Lorne Michaels impression because that is the law. I definitely don't have one. Oh, all right. Really? You can't do like a Dr. Evil or like a um who's that character Mark McKinney played in uh, Brain Candy? Every, every every like every person that's studied under Lorne Michaels has a Lorne Michael impression. <laughs> I just get his post-it notes, so actually I can't oh, hear his enough. voice. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, I'm a mimic, not a miracle worker. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm asking is, like, uh, in the kindest way possible, are you prepared to be, oh, for instance, a 40-year-old guy working a go-nowhere job and doing what he loves on the side? Just, just to pull up, just a, a crazy example out of the air. I don't, I don't see how that scenario is at all realistic. I don't, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was that was. That seems ridiculous. Line. It does. Yeah. It okay. Is. Well. All right. I'll just let me let me give you. Just go with the hypothetical. Yeah, I'll just humor you. Um, yeah. In this incredibly unlikely hypothetical situation, um, that's what you got to do. You yep. know, if um, there, I guess what I'm asking is, do you love it that much that you're prepared for it always to be 
sort of second priority to eating. If it's going to be rough, then yes. But I mean, I I am, this is the thing that by and large, I am the best at, Mm -hmm. you know, I I, I have a very demonstrable and marketable skill at these things. And And being aware of that helps you as well. Like that gives you like there, that's an extra whole layer. Like, yes, you have the talent. You also have the awareness of the talent and that's important. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm ready to sort of pursue this as far as it goes. Okay. You know, I'm not going to say it'll be the rest of my life. I mean, I, I, th- I think a sure. person sort of lives many lives over the course of their, you know, their, their, their time. Oh, don't get fucking. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if, if things just change and it's simply just un, unsustainable anymore, then of course I'll sort of switch paths. I can always, you know, try to explore you know, sort of the the creative writing field again in things that aren't like novel length forms. You know, sure. I, I contribute scripts to the show and everything like that. And I write, you know, um, plays and, you know, sh- more, more sh- uh, shorter form works. Um, right. Or I can just, you know, um, put on a suit and get a nine to five. And, and I, you know, like like you said, just sort of do this work on on the side and sort of have it support me. Well, that's, I mean, that that's really just the, the gist of the question I'm asking is, do you love it enough to suffer for it, is kind of what I'm saying. Yes, I'm already suffering for it. Okay. So. Fair enough. Well, I, I, I wanted to talk specifically about voice stuff just because I don't get to, like, there's not a lot of people I know that really share my passion for voice acting as, as an actual, you know, thing. Right. Like, uh, did you, did you see, I can't remember, did you see that, uh, thing, the, the, uh, documentary on Netflix, the, uh, John DiMaggio, I Know That Voice? I have not seen that yet, and it's on my list of things to watch. It is, I mean, you will love it because every, like, everyone is in it. I, I think if I, if I recall correctly, I did see a segment on there where Bob Bergen was talking about how he was doing the Porky Pig voice. It's full of that. Like yeah. that is that is the, that is a good representation of that whole thing. There's guys just all kinds of weird little secrets and just fantastic things. And there's this whole five minute segment devoted to nothing but how great Mel Blanc was. And then that is immediately followed by a five minute segment about how great um, oh, uh, June Foray mm-hmm. is. And I that just made me happy because like I was yelling at my TV like yes Mel Blanc was great but what about oh there she is oh yeah okay <laughs> just give it a minute yeah ninety seven year old woman that I am not ashamed to admit I kind of have a crush on don't worry there are like twenty people in voice acting and they're all mentioned <laughs> they they actually did a really good job also of of representing like there's a lot more female voice actors than I was aware of and that's good oh yeah it's bad yeah. that it's bad that I'm not aware of them but it's good that they're they're there. And it's not like, oh, good. There's um, Tress McNeil and Tara Strong, and that's it. No, there there are lots, which was great. It was it was just really good. But but watching that, I realized everyone's like, hey, yeah, I never thought of that. Like, really, that's all I think about. <laughs> just I, I don't know. Like, like I, I I don't. I certainly don't have the ability to mimic that you have in any capacity. I have a bit of an ear for it, and on TV, like I'll hear, you know, like, oh, that's that guy, and. Whoever right, I'm yeah. watching it with be like, no, no, it's not. And then in the credits, like, see, like, it's just, it's something I'm always, I've always been aware of, like, since I was the youngest of kids. And I'm just curious, like, is it, is it, are you that into it as well? Like, is like, do, do you remember, for instance, when you were a kid and you had the realization that all the Looney Tunes were voiced by the same guy? No, I, I don't think I had that, that, that 
that realization ever. I mean, it's it for some it's just a strange kind of invisible industry, you know, mm-hmm. um, to some extent. Um, it provided that the that the VAs are doing their job right, you might not even know it's them, you know. And um, like like I said, voice acting was something that I that I came to later. I started with stage acting and then sort of sure. just sort of stumbled into it. But after that, after I was sort of paying more attention to the sort of vocal qualities of my acting, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's that sort of thing started to pop up all the time. I was like, oh, that that's the guy from yeah, that's that's the same guy who does the voice of this character, and like, oh, that's right. um, you know, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? Um, I don't know what's her name. Well, you, what does she play? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I've suffered a mild stroke in the middle of this. Oh, that's that's quite all right. You, if you'd warned me about the burnt toast, I could have helped uh, help cover for you. Oh, I thought you were just, uh, you know, making toast. Making toast <laughs> at your house. Yeah, I'm using the the Skype Sensomac Sensomatic. Right, of course. Smellovision. I mean, Microsoft's made a lot of changes since they took over Skype. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Gray Gray Delisle. That's that's the woman I was thinking of. Who? Gray Delisle. I don't think I know her, or not by name, anyway. Uh, did you ever watch the? This is an odd example. Did you ever watch the Fairy Odd Parents? No. Uh, she's she's played a lot of. Um, uh, I pro- it's probably one of those like I'll know the voice as soon as I hear. It oh kind yes, of things. yeah. She's she's played a lot of uh, female characters in animation and video games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like that that sort of thing just sort of starts to happen. You sort of pick them out in a crowd of voices, right? And you can sort of you start to, like hear their their patterns and their rhythms and their tones and stuff like that. And that just sort of like, now it's hard not to listen to, or, you know, watch an animated show or whatever and not hear these people. Right. Yeah. Well, and the thing is like, I, you were the only one I, I get, Joe does this a bit as well, actually. But I, I, apart from that, like everyone else I, I have working on sarcastic voyage does a fantastic job, but you like, I can, I can tell you, this guy has a certain cadence and he does like da 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 and you'll be like yeah i've picked up on that it goes like this and like you, you know you're you're hearing that stuff that i notice that like it seems like you're thinking about this a lot which i really think is cool like right yeah I, it's there's just a lot to it the more you sort of dig down into the like it's not just people talking there's so much you know there's so much richness to the way people talk and and just like something we've done for instance something we've started doing on sarcastic voyage uh more the other people because you do impressions but other people will start with an impression that goes badly but that will at least give them a new you know point of reference. yeah new voice you know right yeah that kind of thing well actually it's in oh, go ahead uh, people keep people don't tend to th- they, they think of the voice as a kind of utilitarian thing mm-hmm. you know sort of a delivery system for you know what you're trying to say uh, and, and it is that, of course, but it's also an instrument, you know. I mean, the 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 idea that all these sort of, you know, um, that the movement of air and sort of the, 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 the delicate sort of arrangement of muscles in your throat can create, like, different tones and and intonations and, and all these different pitches and stuff. It, I, I, I don't know if it's just our, our culture or whatever, but we don't sort of, like, register that apart from singing, I guess. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, that, that was something I started to become acutely aware of when I got into voice acting because I'm, you know, I'm sort of a, I'm sort of an intellect first actor as opposed to an action first actor, which is, um, you know, there, there's some like, I don't know, like Brando or whatever, who's just sort of like exudes this kind of 
you know, energy and action kind of quality to him. He just, mm-hmm. he just does the thing and maybe thinks about it later, you know, where there right. are other people who like labor over the, the details or whatever, and then do the thing. You know, I, hmm. I, I happen to be in that category where I like, I, I try to think of the, um, all the interlocking parts and the details and stuff like that, and then approach it. And that's, that's what I'm doing in, 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 in the voice acting too. I try to listen to people and like, listen to how all the, it's, it's, it's a modular thing. You know what I mean? There are a lot of parts that interlock together to create a particular person's voice. Right. And you've got to nail all those. Well, you know, it's, it's very hard to completely mimic it, but it, it, in order to get a reasonable approximation, you have to have all of those things working at the same time. And yeah, like you said, it's a lot harder than people give uh, credit for most of the time. No, and it's it is difficult to do, and it frustrates the hell out of me because I have the first part of it. I totally have the intellectual and and the ear for it, and then I try to make my throat make the sounds that I know I want to hear, and it doesn't happen. Like, oh, where? Well, come on. <laughs> well, yeah. Some. I mean, I've I've run into that problem myself. Um, there are just some voices that are like slightly out of my range or they right. they've, they've got a certain kind of resonance to them that I either can't do or haven't found the right like it's a very physical kind of disgusting process you know what I mean like well no you have you have to have like you know certain kinds of throat muscles and stuff and actually going back to Mel Blanc apparently he was some strange freak of nature like the, the doctor looked at his vocal cords and like called all the other doctors in and said, this is not normal exactly this, yeah what, what this guy can do is not you know not normal. Um, I think Mike Patton has that as well, actually. Oh, He's got yeah. that weird, like, Tuvan throat singer, just fucking, like, I, I don't I don't understand it at all, but it's fascinating to me. And, um, like I said, I, I have, like, I, I have a deviated septum, which means, like, my, my sinuses kind of, I, I hit a wall where there's just certain things I can't do with my voice that I could when I was younger, and it, uh, right, it's just yeah. so frustrating. Ah. And then I watch you, and you're just like, yeah, I can do that. Here, here it is perfectly. Ah, you son of a bitch. Well, that that was just um as far as I know my vocal cords are fairly normal. It was just sort of an accident that I stumbled upon when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to like just mimicking the television or, you know, whatever. Right. Um you know, uh a lot of people um they they sort of advise you to focus on sort of your distinct voice, you know, the sort of neat arrangement of your sort of regular speaking voice as being your particular stamp, you know what I mean? Because that's, that, that's right. different from from everybody else's. So even if you don't have the kind of range that some people might have, you've still got your particular voice. And so if that works for a part, then, you know, you're ready to yeah. go. So Yeah, it, just, it doesn't give you the, the ability to look at a cast list and say, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. Sure, you know, yeah. Like you're, you're kind of walled into a, a much more narrow... But there, I mean, there's guys, there's voice actors and there's, you know, just actors who are like that, who just, they show up and they play them, you know, like Christopher Walken is just Christopher Walken and that's what you're buying when you, you know, when you hire him. Right, like yeah. Nick Cage, like guys like that, just, it's okay, you, they're, just, they're doing them. But, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated by people who can, you know, like getting into the real actor thing, like, the, you know, not that voice acting isn't real, you know what I mean. Um, oh, it's not real. No, it's it's all a farce. It's ethereal. Yes. Um, but you know, you're you're Gary Oldman's. You're guys who can just completely like, like Gary Oldman was one of those guys who was in three or four movies I saw, and later on I was like, that was the same guy. Yeah, exactly. Those that's that's the upper echelon of character actors. Right. 
but he's not exactly a movie star. He's just like the top of the, you know, top of the heap of, you know, yeah, guys who are not going to be top billing ever. If 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 you're at the top of the character actor pyramid, you're still you're still further down from the like the quote unquote proper actor pyramid. The well, yeah, you're not pyramid. up there with 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 Clooney and so forth, right? You know? I, I, I don't even know who is who is the George Clooney now. Is it still George Clooney? I don't even. know. I don't anymore. think it's George Clooney anymore. I think okay. it's George Clooney's wife. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Well, no, she's not an actor. She's like a she. She works for a living. No, no, it's a it's a like a once you once you get married, it's sort of like the it fuses it it spreads apart. You know, like each person gets an equal amount of 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 the acting mm. talent. I don't think that that's true. <laughs> I know that's true. Because uh, I, I, the, the person I am married to is one hundred percent exudes confidence, and uh, I do not, I do not share that. I didn't say that confidence worked that way. It's merely oh, acting talent. Oh, only acting talent transfers. Everything else doesn't. Yes, I got you. Everything else is trapped inside your cold meat prison. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's like you know, I, I, I view those kind, I view those those character actors with um, a kind of reverence because mm-hmm. they are. They're 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 artisans. They're 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 workers. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. They're not at the. I, I wouldn't call them like you know, sort of like, uh, you know, factory workers or whatever. Just sort of like cranking no. out a product or whatever. They're 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 artisans. They do a particular. They do a s- several like if 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 they're lucky, they do several particular kind of things well, but with a a kind of a. a an attention to detail and a precision and a creativity that sort of is not maybe not as flashy as sort of like you know the sort of lead actors or you know what have you but their work is mm-hmm. you know like the more you examine it the more facets you find it's just you know that that that's the kind of actor that I'm sort of aspiring to be the kind of character actor that creates these sort of nuanced and interesting portrayals um mm-hmm. and like takes pride in their work as opposed to in it like takes pride in the actual doing of the work as opposed to having done the work. Right. If that makes sense. It does. I, I, I often say about writing that I hate writing, but I love having written. Right. Yeah. It's good to have a script like, Hey, I wrote this. Yeah. But I don't want to do it. I don't ever, like I was talking about this the other day. The, the most rewarding part of the writing cycle is just having finished something that's good. Absolutely. Yes. Because I, not only am I proud of myself, but it is the longest possible time until I have to write something again. That is true. Yes. Whereas acting is not like that. It's not a chore. It's the, the thing itself is the, like, that's the fun part. You practice and you practice and you practice and then you get to act. Whereas writing is like, you do a bunch of work and then you get to be done for a while. Like, I wonder if that's another bit of, like, because you get that gratification, because you get that reward, you know, like, I wonder if maybe that's why you take more to acting than to, than, than you did to writing. Yeah, there's a kind, there's a, yeah, there's a different sort of, um, you know, it's, it's such an, it's such an ephemeral thing to, to borrow your word. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the acting doesn't really exist until, you know, the audience sort of connects with it, you know, otherwise it's just sort of like you know, exercising, you know, out in the air, you know, or whatever. Well, yeah. But, you know, once you've got like with, with, with stage acting, like the only time that that really works is when you're on stage and there's an audience in front of you and there's that kind of like palpable energy there that don't, mm-hmm. that only lasts like maybe two or three hours and then it's gone forever, you know? 
I, I, I don't want to romanticize it too much, but like that's a very different kind of feeling than something more, um, I guess, product based. Well, I don't know. Like voice acting, you you like just before we started recording this, you recorded a bunch of stuff for Sarcastic Voyage, and it all turned out quite well. And I did. That's I it. Did. Like you you put it out there in the ether, and maybe someone will approach you and say, "Hey, good job," but probably not. Like it's not like doing something on stage. It's it's out there and it's done. So I mean, you acted, but you don't get the reaction. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, at at that point, um, I would say my 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 motivation for doing voice acting and is is a little different. At that point, it's just I I, I originally uh, approached um, voice acting as a kind of like training ground, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it, it it affords you opportunities to play roles that would otherwise be denied of be denied to you because of your sort of physical characteristics or you know just the timing or or what have you you know it opens up just a, a wide range of, of of possibilities and um I, I was very attracted to that because i'm not you know i'm you know re- i'm shorter than most men you know i'm like five <laughs> i'm like five six uh-huh. um and i've got the look of like um a second man as you would say sort of like the person that is either the villain or is like acting as the the leading man's kind of confidant or friend or, you, 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 right. you know, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it would, it's very hard for me to like, you know, to be in a, to be in a situation or to, or to be involved in a particular work where I can actually play those parts, you know, be that lead character um, for, for whatever reason. Um, and the voice acting, I immediately pounced on and said, great, I can do whatever I want here. And yep. this will allow me to on the side, work on aspects, you know, work on characters and voices and, 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 and all that stuff that I won't be able to do on stage because of my sort of, you know, physical limitations. Well, and, and the thing about sketch comedy in particular, and this is what appeals to me also, both as, as a writer producer of it and, and as a performer of it is in one half hour show, you play five or six completely different roles, you know, and you've been doing it for us for two years now. Exactly. Yeah. So you got, you know, you probably got a hundred different roles with us now. And yeah, some of them sound the same, but a lot of them sound very different. So you're, you're building a resume, you know, uh, one three minute sketch at a time that can really showcase an incredible range that you wouldn't get if you were doing one play and then another play and then another play, you know, like just because of the sheer volume of work. Yeah. That's why, that's why I was attracted to doing a sketch comedy show in the first place. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just that you just build a great body of work you know right that is that is so different in terms of like you know tone and intention and all that stuff you know it's it's a great resume builder yeah i don't think i've ever been accused of that before <laughs> well <laughs> hey your show's gonna help me look impressive really is it well that's sort of a that's sort of a secondary concern i've always wanted to be a part of a sketch show because i've always sort of you know i i've, I've have an affection for all of those really sharp really sharply written comedies and those kind of sketch shows of old, like, you know, Flying Circus and that sort of thing. Well, that's actually, that that's a nice segue into, I kind of wanted to get into your comedy background and your, like your influences and stuff like that, because you have not only been acting for us for a couple of years, you've also contributed considerably to the writing. So obviously you're, you're steeped in, you know, you, you know, you know, the form. Right. Yeah. Like, so what's your, what's like, what, what what's like your holy grail of comedy, so to speak? Like what 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 are your influences? 
Um, I'd say Flying Circus, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the um, sort of uh, the the bravery to do the absurdist bent, even in the face of incomprehension, mm-hmm. is great. Um, you know, I obviously, you know, don't play that as much as they do. Um, right. Uh, the But at the same time, the very uh, sharp and intelligent observations that are happening in the midst of the humor is, is also very important to me. Like I, I want to create, I, I, my, my preferred humor is like, is, is witty humor. You know, there's a kind mm-hmm. of like dry British sort of quality to it. Like, you know, in, in things like black Hatter, mm-hmm. um, and, um, there's a little bit, that, a little bit of that going on in faulty towers too. But, um, yeah, so that, that kind of like, dry witticism is sort of my stock in trade. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that, that's, that's what I'm attracted to. But I also realize the value of like sort of silly absurdism at the same time too. So it's, I'm trying to sort of on a regular basis, sort of subtly fuse those qualities, like creating a script that's very, you know, sort of crackling with like sharp dialogue, but at the same time, not afraid to do something sort of ridiculous at the same time, which I think is, <laughs> I think really pleases Matt because when, when he says somebody needs to come in and tackle somebody, I'm also like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> somebody should come in and tackle this guy. Well, and the thing is, I that is very similar to the kind of mix of things that I like as well. I right, like yeah. doing the super, but I tend to just write those sort of, and, and sometimes overly clever, sometimes overly layered. I, I know that, but that's my, that's my thing. And that's why I work with Matt because he's so like that, that surreal thing comes to him so effortlessly. Right. Yeah. Like when we do Aaron Fawcett, he writes the, you know, the first couple of pages of that and we all sort of build on it. And it, he, he says sort of jokingly, but I don't think he's kidding that he goes into like a fugue state. He just, he, he just, and, and I know I've written like this at times, but I can't really channel that anymore. And you probably know what it, what I'm talking about. Like that, when you just feel something almost from your subconscious and you just sort of let it pour out and yeah. you don't exactly know what it is. Like he just does that and it's jokes. Exactly. I wish yeah. I could do that instead of it being shitty poetry or something, you know, like <laughs> it's not fair. Like I, don't, I can't, I can't just like go into a trance and make comedy. I have to think about it. Which I, you know, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think you can get it overly clevered or, or overly layered. I don't think I don't think that you can work too hard on it. No, but I spend yeah. a lot of time trying to explain to you guys, the co-writers and actors, uh, this is a reference to this. This guy appeared in this. Also, this guy is related to this sketch that we did before. And you guys are like, Ugh, I don't care. <laughs> no, no. It's funny. If you listen to these other eight sketches, you'll get what's going on here. Ugh, who cares? It's just, it's. I've, I've really gotten into the interconnecting things and making a joke that's on the surface a joke but also a reference and, right you know, well which is yeah i mean that's that's the beauty of of arrested development right yes because it is so layered and new I, I, I did you i don't think we've talked about that a lot did you ever get into that show oh yes yeah that's a okay. great show yeah mm-hmm. but that was that was the epiphany for me that show was like comedy can be like this like it it took that nerd sensibility that 50 years of comic book continuity idea you know interrelated things and and metatextual things and stuff like that and put it into a a sitcom right and it's like wow i didn't know comedy spoke that language like is is there anything for you that has done that where some like just the 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 perfect thing like i don't know it's like when a musician hears 
I don't know, Led Zeppelin or whatever for the first time. And it just opens their eyes and like, wow, I can do that. Like, is there anything like that for you? Um, I, I'd have to say there are a couple of, there are a couple of episodes of, uh, they're not as, this is not in any of the same class as Arrested Development, I don't think in terms of. No, like, it doesn't right, matter. But... You, some, sometimes it'll spark just the, the, the thought and it won't even be like a perfect thing necessarily, but it'll, it'll open your eyes to something new, you know? There are some episodes of the last two seasons of Blackadder, which are particularly sharp. I mean, they they fall into into sort of these sort of regular rhythms. Like there's a kind, but there's a comfort to it as well. Like, you know, uh, Blackadder's going to act in a certain kind of way. He's going to have a witty rejoinder, whatever. He's going to put down Baldrick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's mm-hmm. a there's a there's a skeleton there, but the 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 weaving of of jokes with sort of um just enough historical detail and um also sometimes the sort of very like poignant and almost like tragic turns that mm-hmm. that the actual sort of events of the story itself can take like the the end of of blackadder goes forth the uh, last televised series mm-hmm. um that, that 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 takes place in world war 1 and the the last moment is uh, the the whole you know the whole routine is that Blackadder and Baldrick and Percy are I mean not 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 Percy um, the character that Hugh Laurie plays I can't remember all of a sudden but um, are are trying to you know ditch you know the war and, and get out of the trenches and be able to get some kind of cushy um, job you know sitting behind a desk and you know telephoning in orders you know sure but they're at the, at the end of that series they're they're unable to do that and they have to go over the top and it's just like suddenly. I, I remember watching that and thinking, like, this is, like, this is where the comedy has turned into art. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It was, it was very detailed, very work, very workmanlike, very admirable. It was good stuff, but now it has sort of transcended itself. You know, mm-hmm. that sort of blend of, of, of humor and meaning at the same time. Um, that is something that sort of struck me and realized and made me realize that, you know, regardless of how sort of mannered your form is, you can still like transcend the elements that you're working with and create something, something very meaningful. Well, yeah. You know? Comedy doesn't just have to be jokes. You can really do some profound stuff about the human condition exactly, with it. Yeah. Like, like in that setting, like it often, <laughs> it often is just jokes. But yeah, I could totally see that making you aware of, oh, wow, there, you know, this is a silly British show about a, a you know, a, a miserable little man in a war, but Jesus. Yeah. And it got miserable at the end, but, but yeah, well, it done well. No, I love, I, I like that ending as well, yeah. but uh, I, I honestly, it's horrible. I only just saw Blackadder for the first time about five years ago and I've still only seen it the one time. It's just, it's one of those things that it was kind of a blind spot for me for a while. And I, I caught up and like, okay, I see why this is great, but it's weird that I didn't see it for this long, you know, just well, like it, it, my, my sort of my, my, I mean, I like to think my perspective is constantly changing, but it is still sort of set. Like the base was sort of set Sure, yeah. in my twenties. And I, I wish I had seen it kind of earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm still sort of approaching these sort of comedic touchstones, you know, on a regular basis. I still haven't seen Seinfeld. I think it may be too late. Yeah, I I think so too. I think there's a very distinctive kind of 90s quality to it that now yeah. now that you watch it is just sort of like so removed. I, 
I still enjoy it, but I enjoy it more on the level of nostalgia than I enjoy it on the level of comedy. There's still there's still comedy there. There's still right, some stuff. Yeah. And there's still echoes of that that I borrow for things, but I, mostly just uh, just Jason Alexander screaming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there, uh, that's the thing, you know, some sometimes you've got and, and, and I don't think it I don't think it's a lesser kind of comedy, but you've got comedy that works in a very specific time and place and culture and if it mm-hmm. gets transported out of those elements in any kind of way it just doesn't work as well well the thing about that show t- taking it back to sort of stretching the boundaries of what comedy can do is it wasn't the first show to do this but it was the first hugely successful show to basically have main characters that were not relatable or even redeemable right yeah and just awful, awful people. And that led to Arrested Development. That led to uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That led to, you know, like yeah, the rise a number of, of other uh, shows. Cringe comedy, I think, as they call it. You know? I, I don't know that I call that cringe comedy. I mean, you're, you you may be correct. I think of cringe comedy as like the original British The Office. Oh, well, th- I was thinking of The American Office, too. There's some some elements of that in there as well. There is, I would say, early on when they were sort of starting out the same. Yeah. It was more like that, and it gradually went off into its own thing. It became this broader pastiche at the end. So Right, which I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying. I The thing is, I think those, like the, the, the British office, the Ricky Gervais office, is a work of art. It is fantastic. I can't watch it. Oh, yeah, it's very difficult for me to watch, it makes too. makes me yeah. so uncomfortable. Yeah. And there's there's certain comedy I feel like that about it. That's certainly not the only thing. It just it oh god, I feel so bad. That's what I think of as cringe comedy. I don't know if that's correct, but that's that's what I think of. Um, but I think I don't know if it's just mainstream comedy or just I didn't notice it or what. But definitely the envelope has been pushed as far as like like Blackadder was what the late '80s, like that last series was yeah. like '89 or something like that. And American TV is only just now maybe getting around to being able to do something kind of like that. Like, just in terms of comedy doesn't just have to be jokes. You can have some pathos there. You can have some horrible tragedy there. You can have, you know, like, like in, in terms of what's acceptable to a mainstream audience, I think maybe a show like that would fly now, but it definitely wouldn't have at the time. Oh, yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? yeah. Well, you know, not to not to put British television on a pedestal necessarily because there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of coal in that in that gem sack, so to speak. But um, <laughs> you lost me with that metaphor. Oh, sorry. Well, I'll, I'll try another one. I'll come back to it. Okay. Um, yeah, the uh, American television is always like 10 years behind, you know. I, I would say that was true up until about... Uh, maybe 10 years ago <laughs> we finally matched it yeah no i feel like i feel like there, I, I feel like this is the best time to ever be watching television to be honest oh with no you. i i would agree with that like in terms of all television but in terms of comedy television i think we're still behind no because mostly what i watch is comedy so i don't i don't know like I, hit me with some examples like what do you what do you think say british or maybe other you know from other places like comedy is doing that that we're not doing here not to put you on the spot, but just I I I don't think it's a matter of like um, a a different form or technique. I think that they're still doing the, those forms and techniques better than we are. If that makes any okay. sense, like the like the execution is simply better over there. Mm, I agree with you to an extent, but I think I think certain forms of comedy have arisen here that are uniquely American that we oh, yeah. do really well. Well, like like Parks and Rec, for instance, I think is. I, I was thinking about that. Yeah, like your, char- 
your character driven uh cynical with a heart type show is exactly what i was thinking of which is actually what the office turned into yeah and parks and rec is a, is the the best example of that and i've been watching uh, brooklyn 99 recently and that has a very similar feel to it yeah i've which, heard about that yeah it was co-created by one of the parks guys so it makes sense yeah and it's it's something i think we do well which is it appears to be really cynical on the surface, but it actually is actually very sweet under, you know, underneath all that. Yeah. I I, With, I wonder what that says about sort of, you know, uh, uh, American personalities like that. We're sort of a trying to appear kind of hard, but inside we're like, you know, the soft and nougaty center. I bet that could definitely be part of it. I, I interpret it more as if you try to be overly sentimental, it comes off schmaltzy. And so they're just trying to, you know. They're they're trying to uh, give you a, a spoonful of medicine to make the sugar go down. We're I, I think we're sort of like backing off of that extreme sort of late '90s kind of you know um, nihilistic cynicism kind of cauldron, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think I think it was like uh, I think it was David Foster Wallace who was talking about the um, the new sincerity, you know, sort of like people sort of recoiling from cynicism and and, and irony because it is so draining and so you know difficult to like mm -hmm. experience even in terms of like entertainment um and sort of reapproaching this kind of new sort of optimism i guess i guess you would say and i think that i think we're going through the growing pains of that like now that we're backing off of that extreme cynicism we're getting these shows that sort of try to split the difference well just in in terms of Per, like just living my life it's a hard balance oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i try to be positive but god damn it it's hard because people are stupid you know you know what i mean it's just ah it's so difficult no like like on the internet i try really hard not to be the guy who's criticizing things but i i, I try not to go there so yeah but i catch myself doing it all the time yeah. it's, it's 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 so it's so easy to go to that default cynicism yeah no no it's, yeah it, it's so easy to hear something and and make it you know an offhand joke about it rather than say oh that's pretty cool yeah because it, 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 emotional engagement is infinitely more difficult more time consuming more energy consuming than it is to sort of dismiss something and and emotionally risky yes You're putting it is. yourself out there yeah, and so you've got this kind of cloistering going on yeah yeah as 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 people you know as comedians or whatever you want to call it as funny people and we're trained to do that to cloister ourselves yeah oh oh yeah. yes on a nightly basis um hey i don't think that means what i think it means hey i also don't think i was implying what you think i was implying hey <laughs> um i was like oh just i feel like there's a certain type and and i feel like you're similar in this regard comedy type people you're gonna like you go for the easy laugh. You get not necessarily the easy laugh, but like sometimes it's it's easier to make a snide comment because you know people will laugh and that will make them comfortable with you. Yeah. Then yeah. to be open to open up and be sincere and risk you know them saying you're stupid. It's you know like a joke is always the easiest way to connect with people. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. And that and I I've sort of examined that over the past you know few years. Sort of coming mm -hmm. to terms with, you know, um, uh, you know, m mental issues like you know depression and and that and that sort of thing. Like you know, coming to terms with that stuff and how I relate to the outside world and to myself. Um, I I've tried to sort of scale back from that a bit, you know, mm -hmm. because it is so, 
um, it's so empty, you know, to just sort of continually sort of pump out these sort of witty rejoinders or like, you know, like broad jokes or, or whatever at the expense of like actually connecting with another person. Not that you can't do both. Right. But too often you substitute the one for the other. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've in my sort of observations, I've, I've realized that I do that a little too often. So I've tried mm-hmm. to scale it back a little bit. I don't know how excess or successful I've been, but it feels like things are more open now. Yeah. And I've, I've gone through something very similar and I, I feel like you definitely notice a difference inside yourself. Oh yes. Yeah. When you're not constantly producing negativity, you feel better. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems, it sounds chintzy and dumb. It really does. It really does to, to, for somebody to say like, just think positive thoughts, but yeah, well, I mean, you are what you think. The thing is like a lot of times, I mean, uh, depression, and we'll we'll definitely get into that if you're comfortable talking about it. Of course. Yeah. Uh, But depression is, is chemically driven, but it's, it's still the mind and it's still, that sort of indefinable, weird human, like sometimes a thought will set you off and get you, you know, in a whole, like, or a smell of a thing will remind you of a thing that'll make you think of something. Well, and now, wait a minute. Sad, I, didn't, or, I, didn't, you know. I didn't read Proust. I don't know what you're, go- I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> well, here, it's a real quick story. Let me, okay, uh, sure. Let me, you know, so there's this Madeleine, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, um, seven volumes later, was it seven? I only know Proust as a Python reference, by the way. <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh, excuse me. No, I also know it as a as a Sopranos reference. Uh, his shrink uh, tries to <laughs> tries to tell him about this book, and he's like, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> um, but now it's it's yes. Chem- sometimes your brain will sabotage you with chemicals that make you depressed. But it, there's you know there's so much more human weirdness to it. Right. That that I've found, for instance. When I used to wake up feeling bad and tell the world I feel bad, I would remain feeling bad. When the image that I put out is instead, like, it, it's it's a propaganda game. It's a everything's fine, we've always been at war with Eurasia kind of thing. Right, it's a, yeah. Like, I either keep my mouth shut or try to say something good. That's why I often talk about being so excited about doing creative stuff, because sometimes that's all I got to cling to, you know what I mean? Like, it's a... But by saying that, it makes me feel better. It makes people happy for me. I feed off their happiness, and it's you know, it definitely helps. Right? Yeah. And it's it, it's it, not. Uh, you can't just. You can't just keep. Um, I mean, just. In in terms of physics, it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? You, you can't just sort of keep sucking things out of your environment. Right. You know, emotional support or or whatever. You can't just keep pulling and pulling. You got to keep putting stuff out there too to keep the cycle going, I guess. Well, I, I've learned one thing in my 40, or two things in my 40 years. Um, there are two things nobody wants to hear about. Your D&D campaign and how unhappy you are. <laughs> I can definitely agree with, with the first one, yes. <laughs> no, no, I actually stole this, it. We get this really interesting level with kobolds. Listen. <sighs> The thing, like th- that, actually, Amanda, that's her observation. But it is like, and even if you're into D and D, it's it's your game. You were, the, it's like a you had to be there thing. Right, Nobody yeah. wants to hear that's about. That's not it. yours. That doesn't belong to you. It's some other. It's a it's a different country. Yeah, exactly. But I, nobody wants to hear about how miserable you are all the time. Like, even if you are, just shut up. We all are. Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think a large a large portion of that is, um, even if people genuinely want to help you 
um, mm-hmm. which I would say the vast majority of people don't, not out of a malicious kind of way, but sort of a, you know. Self-interest kind of way. Yeah, sort of a, I'm, atten- I'm tending to my business, you tend to yours kind of right. way. Um, the people that do genuinely want to help you are in a, this kind of f- f- a state of futility because they can't help you in the way that you need. Right. That can only be done by, you know, it, it, your own sort of engagement, right, with the world. Like, you know, tr- deciding to think positively, deciding to cling to things that matter mm-hmm. to you. Um, or, you know... Uh, <laughs> Chemicals. Your, your neurochemically, yes. <laughs> right. Chemically. It goes into your brain chemically. Better living. <laughs> Um, but uh, so, yeah, that does bring me to something I did want to discuss, which is, uh, you're, you, you do comedy. So naturally you suffer from depression. Of course. <laughs> so is it, how do I, how do I frame this? Do you find this is true of actors as well? Like I, because I mostly deal in comedy circles, I'm not aware sort of, of, of more, you know, detailed inner workings of other art forms. Is it all creative? Is it really all humans? Am I just like that that fooled that it's comedians only? I think the uh, a great like a statistically significant percentage of creatives Mm -hmm. are sort of I I, I hesitate to say crippled, but are affected by that sort of thing in some way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that actors by and large are. I think they are hobbled by um sort of these problems of ego and insecurity yes Mm -hmm. which is like a whole different kind of you know thing to deal with Um, well what you see a lot with comedians particularly you know performing comedians is lack of confidence lack of you know like like just just wanting to be isolated wanting to be alone and using the performance to break out of that and to get in front of people and to face the fear is is that also true of of actors I would say that the lack of confidence is also pretty common, but mm-hmm. th- there's a different sort of thread there where um, it's more, it's far more about acceptance. You know what I mean? About whereas, whereas a comedian might be sort of putting themselves out there in this whole different state to try to mask their inner, you know, mm-hmm. fear and turmoil. Um, the, the actors are just sort of like, like working very hard at creating this product and then pushing it out there and saying, please like it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that is a slightly different, I mean, I I think, I think that comes from similar sort of sources mentally, Mm -hmm. but it's a slightly different kind of approach there's a lot of that. And I suffer from that all the time because Mm -hmm. it our our, you know, our professions, um, what, what we do um the 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 two of us i mean um yeah. it's it's so dependent on like people opening up and taking in the thing that you made yep you know and responding to it in any way really i yep. mean ideally positively but in any way because the worst thing is for you to just like shoot it out into the void and it remains there you know and, and that's that's the inherent problem with internet-based entertainment, specifically yes. podcasts, is you put it out there and you promote it and you hope someone's going to hear it, and maybe they do, but you don't hear their laughter. Right. So you don't know if it worked, and you don't know if they like you. <laughs> that's a little bit why, why um, you know, people say they like, you know, stage acting much more than the, you know, these other forms, because there's that instant gratification. You know, you, right. you know whether something's working or not. Right. Yeah. Um, and and the thing is, somebody told me this a while back that 
it's only comedy if it's in front of an audience and otherwise it's just jokes. And I don't know if I completely agree with that. That seems, but it was definitely a, a, a valid thing to consider. That seems more like semantically hokey, you know? No, like, the, the point he was trying to make is you, you can sit in your house and make stuff that you, you are convinced is funny, but you don't know it's funny until you hear someone laughing at well, it. Well, that, that's very true. Yeah. It's uh, with, with both acting and, and specifically being, you know, doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a dialogue, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it always has to be. Otherwise it's just, you know, sort of, it's just masturbation really. And that's, you know, like the thing is it gets frustrating doing a podcast and putting it out there. And we hear from people sometimes. I'm not going to sit here and whine about not not hearing from people. But in general, I don't know which jokes landed and which don't. And right. that's why it was great to get on a stage in front of people. But it's so hard to coordinate that. Sure. It's yeah. so much easier to get you on Skype for an hour and record and then edit it. You know, it's just, it's, it's just easier, you know? And that, that, that again runs into a problem of confidence. You know, you've got to sort of decide if if that continues like you know if your engagement is not where you want it to be and this is true of of you know certain acting challenges as well you've got to mm-hmm. just sort of commit to an approach and just do it yeah. you know and then like just say this is the approach that I'm doing this is what I'm committing to this is what I've worked on let's yeah. see let's see what happens you know I, for me it's become more building a body of work right similar to what you were talking about with voice acting just like there's a pile out there. Maybe someday the right audience is going to find it. If not, I can still be proud that I made that pile. Exactly, yeah. And I'm I'm comfortable with that. But I, I, back to the whole de- depression thing, I, I feel like it gives me a purpose. It gives me, like, this is, you know, I don't want to get, like, like you know, metaphysical, philosophical, whatever. I don't, I'm not going to say this is what I meant to do, but this, this, this peg fills that hole. Exactly. You know what I yeah. mean? No, that, that was, I, I need a purpose, and this is that. That that was one of the reasons why um, I I was I was in a kind of um, uh, sort of a suicidal state um, mm. uh, l- last year, around the middle of you know around the middle of the year, like April May, mm-hmm. um, and um, I I couldn't you know sort of go through with it. I couldn't do sort of the physical action. I couldn't like you know finally do it. Because there was so much left to do, you know what yep. I mean. It's I do know what you mean. <laughs> and and there were and you know my uh, my theater professor. I, I had some conversations with him about this. Obviously, that's how I sort of got into the, you know, in the in, into the tra- into the trajectory of, you know, heading to to counseling services and, and getting medication and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he he was saying to me that 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 sort of that, that idea was espoused by people who had been involved in 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 the Holocaust. You know that 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 sort of experience of going through that 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 really that dark transcending thing that mm-hmm. thing that thing that changes you um the the way to beat that was to simply be busy right was to simply do things and leave things constantly in a state of being finished or being developed so that you feel like you have a responsibility to finish those things and you just keep doing that over and over again until you die (laughs) (laughs) that that you've just described my life that is so that is absolutely working for me (laughs) which which again is not is not like you know i i would definitely say that there isn't a kind of like a sadness or a futility about that i mean that's that that's i mean if that's what it takes yeah. to keep you going then you do it and it also has the the brilliant side effect of creating a bunch of cool stuff yeah you know so 
yeah, that, it's, that, that, that's what I found helped me through that was that, well, in, in addition to like seeking counseling and, and medication and all that, but I couldn't do it because I, I had stuff to record. I had stuff to write. I had stuff to do. I was in the middle of a show. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I had a responsibility. I felt I needed to fulfill these things. But do you feel like in your mind, was it, I have a responsibility because I committed to this and people will be disappointed in me, or I have a responsibility because this is the job and I said I would do it. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference between people will, people will be mad at me and this is the right thing to do. You know what I mean? I'd say there were elements of both, but primarily it was a sense of I've, I've committed to the work. Um, Mm -hmm. If I, you know, leave early, so to speak, to use a very, very uh-huh. delicate euphemism. Yeah. Um, if, to be totally glib about your own death, <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, then I I will weaken the work, and the work mm-hmm. will not be as good. I'll, I'll put it in a crisis state, and that is absolutely something that I was not, that I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't accept that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I believe in sort of like, I, I, I believe in sort of surrendering yourself to the greater you know, idea of the work, like to, 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 to taking yourself and like putting as much sort of ego out of it and all that stuff like that. And just doing the best work that you can and like putting your part in. And, mm-hmm. and I realized that if I, that if I, you know, uh, shuffled off this mortal coil, <laughs> was that better? Ah, it's uh, much better. Yes. Thank the you. accent is really what did yeah, it. Thank you. Um, I realized if, 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 if I did that, then the work would, would be irrevocably weakened. And like, I would have to, <laughs> I would have to live with that. Uh-huh. Um, no, I get you. And and it's it's very similar. You came to this from a different direction kind of than I did, but it's it's similar to my own thinking. I, I, I'm not super connected to my parents, but one thing I got from them was a work ethic. Right. Was you do the work in front of you. And that's that's gotten me through a lot of stuff. Can't, you know, no time, got work to do. Exactly. Too 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 busy to die. I'll die later. <laughs> yeah. But also, um, I'll die when I'm dead. <laughs> that's good. Should put that in some bumper stickers. I will slap a TARDIS on it. <laughs> um, but uh, it's odd because one of the things that that inspired me to start thinking like that was when Douglas Adams died. Right. Um. Douglas Adams died in, I think it was like 2002, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, something like 10 years after his last book had been written. And he was no closer to writing anything else. I just, I didn't, thinking about the idea that I could die with all that stuff on not done yet. You know what I mean? Like, like I need to constantly be doing stuff because one day I could be 49 or however old he was. I think it was 49. And dead and have 50 unwritten novels, and that's no good. Exactly, yeah. Like, so I gotta, I gotta get to, there's no time for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, just, I gotta, I gotta get going. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing that gets get stuck in your craw is the unfinished, unrealized potential. Yeah. yeah. And, and otherwise I'll be haunting because that's what happens when you have unfinished business, right? You're yeah, you come a back as a ghost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck that. Nobody wants to be a ghost. No. Nobody God. wants to be ghosts, a werewolf. Ghosts don't want to be ghosts self-hating like go, probably a lot of stand-up comedy you know in the ghost world because they all hate themselves no there's a lot of tuvin throat singing actually <laughs> wait is mike Patton dead uh, not yet okay let's let's ward that let's ward that evil off 
They, I was going to say Faith No More just reformed. Yeah, they're coming. They're they're coming here in like April. Could we at least wait that long? Yeah. Well, that, that's a that's a whole different Morbits where we just talk about Faith No More. <laughs> Believe me, I could. Also, they got back together in two thousand nine. They're just getting back together in America now. Well, that's what I meant. The the important <laughs> getting back together. I know. No, there's some fantastic stuff out there on YouTube that they were doing, like in their European and uh, South American tours. Like, I was I was following some blogs obsessively. Like, hey, they did it. They did a th- three second cover of a Lady Gaga song. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> those are del- was a delightful three seconds. Yep, I'll listen to that again for the you know on repeat for the rest of my life. I, you're not far from the truth. I know. Do not do not look at the uh, the the play count on my iTunes. It is embarrassing. It's like the same five songs over and over and over. This is what happens when you get old. Your tastes freeze at age twenty five, maybe. Oh, that's already just, there. Good. Yeah, yeah. And then you just listen to the same stuff over and over forever. Excellent. I already have all that stuff. It'll be convenient. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's about everything I wanted to touch on. Um. Definitely got some good stuff here. I, I appreciate the uh, the time. Um, of course. Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I'm always working on um, sort of projects for uh, Pendant Audio, of course. Um, mm-hmm. The last thing, it's it's currently coming out. Uh, the, the acts are coming out slowly, but the last thing I did with Pendant... Um, that I can re- that I can recall right now is uh, we did an adaptation of Julius Caesar mm-hmm. in a kind of House of Cards fashion. I won't say that we weren't trying to hew to that too much. It was just sort of like a modern day political, like Washington D.C. sort of type mm-hmm. of thing. Oh, um, that could be cool. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, so, so you know, just like you know, uh, go to pendantaudio.com and I'll just be in everything that comes out because uh, <laughs> that's just how it works. Um, sure. Uh, uh, we're working on uh, more uh, Doctor Who stuff at Doctor Who Fan Stories. We're in the production of our um, fourth episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently did the vo- a terrible Indian accent on um, an an episode of the CP Studios Doctor Who series. Uh, that that episode's called the East India Incident. Mm-hmm. I, I, I play a character called Karak Singh in there, who's you know trying to like revive the Sikh Empire and stuff. So that that, oh. that, that was fun to do. You know, real Indians exist, right? I do, yeah. Okay. Like, I know one. I could I could get you in touch if you needed to. Yeah. Well, it's already recorded, unfortunately. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I, I just, <laughs> I just, is done. I just hope that when he listens to it, he won't be you know, like, terribly offended. <laughs> nah. That guy doesn't get offended by anything. Well, that's good. If, no, if nobody was offended by the, by the Chinese accent I did, <laughs> like <laughs> last year or the year before. Then... It might have been one of the first things you did, actually. It was pretty early on, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember thinking, oh, God, is, is, is this guy racist? Is that, is that his thing? <laughs> well, now you know. Turns out, yes. Yes. If, well, alarmingly so. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're, you know, we're working on that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm also working on, um, also with CP Studios, we're, we're launching a, um, a Twilight Zone audio drama, which is where we're, you know, we're taking, we're, we're adapting like stories like, the egg and they're made out of meat and all, and all that sort of thing and we're like oh like existing scripts yeah in, not like stuff written in the style of but actually well we're we're planning to scripts. move in that direction eventually but right now we're we're adapting you know sort of well known science uh-huh. fiction tales and presenting them in, in an audio format so I'm I'm excited about that that's cool um I mean that's that that that's about it oh and of course all my work on Sarcastic Voyage 
Right. Sarcasticvoice.com. <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, I appreciate your time and um, safe journeys. Of course. Thank you, Al. Safe journeys, everyone. This show was produced by me, Ron Algarwatt, and featured Jason Wallace. To learn more about Jason, check out the websites he plugged at the end of the show. To learn more about me, visit algar.com. That's double A-L-G-A-R dot com. Thank you for listening.